0: Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media, and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history. Struggles, successes and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world We live and love and call off-road
1: Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability four wheels or two Maxxis Tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis Tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously.
0: If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Forlow Magazine is a magazine for you. Forlow cannot be found in a storefront or on a bookshelf but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Skip Scott. Skip is uh, pretty new to rock crawling competitions. I think his first We Rock event was last season, and he's just coming off his first podium win in Mason, Texas at Katemsi Rocks with the We Rock Eastern Opener for 2022. Skip, it's great to have you on the air and uh, get a chance to talk about your life.
1: Rich, I, I, I'm i honored. I mean, I just can't, I'm just, uh, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm in company of some uh, big names, and I don't deserve to be, and it's a real pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Well, thank you. Just remember, and everybody out there, remember, none of us are superheroes. We just are people that have found a passion for a sport or a lifestyle, and we went after it. Every one of us puts their pants on one leg at a
1: time. You Man, know? <laughs> well, that, that's good to know. I thought you guys were superheroes, son of a gun. All right, well, that's helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely not me. There there's some guys <laughs> I look at as superheroes, but uh, I won't tell them that because most of their heads are too big anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I told my uh, girlfriend, uh, you know, I'm going to need, I'm going to be too big for my britches and I'm going to need all new hats uh, tomorrow. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) All
0: right. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. And uh, I'm going to ask the standard basic first question. And where were you born and raised?
1: Rich, I was born, well, let me say, I'm going to answer that question. Okay. But first, I want to thank you for doing these podcasts because they have accelerated my understanding and education of this sport that would have taken me lifetimes to do. So I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. Second, I, I was born in Oakland, California, and I was raised pretty much all over the southern part of the country. I lived in probably 25 cities, uh, growing up. And, uh, it was quite an experience lived in, uh, Colorado, Texas, California, Florida, and everywhere in between. And just about every damn city in those States. And, um, it as an only child, uh, so it was hard to, to make friends, obviously, uh, I've learned how to do that. Um, but it was quite an experience. Uh, my dad, uh, as I realized decades later, he was a state trooper in Texas when I was about four years old. And he uh, uh, cars used to come speeding down the, our residential street and he would jump up off the couch in his shorts and, and uh, his underwear, his T-shirt and underwear and run out on the porch and yell, you son of a, you know what? And go jump in his cop car and chase after him. Well, I'm I'm a four four year old kid. I'm just thinking, okay, that's what dad does. That's I don't know anything. Um, Well, then. So shortly after a few episodes of that, uh, I find that he's not a policeman anymore. And uh, and we're we're moving from town to town throughout my whole childhood. And I think he was just, you know searching they my mom and dad were searching and uh you know we we didn't have anything uh, we didn't have hardly anything at all uh and they were trying to find themselves they were very young well my mom had me when she was 17 and uh, uh but but you know they they did uh everything that a parent should do and that you know they love me so they you know they did everything that that they could do you know so moving all over um
0: it was in like a job search for your dad at that point then?
1: Yeah, well, we would get into a town, he would get a job. And the next thing I'd know, he's like, let's get the hell out of this berg. Okay. It, it was always a berg, whatever the hell that meant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, off he went to Greener Pastures and, you know, he was running from something that he was never going to find running from it. You know, he he probably, and he finally did just stay in one place and and figured it out, uh, after I was grown up. Um, but yeah,
0: you know, I, I can relate to that to be completely honest. Sure. My, my adult years, um, after college, I moved a lot. I had a lot of different careers before I got into off-road and I don't think I was running from something. I was trying to run to something, but I didn't know what it was. You know, so maybe that's a way to look at it. Um, You know, you know better than anybody else or would know, except for maybe himself, you know, your dad himself. But, you know, that's uh, that's one of the things that that drives the Bedouin lifestyle, you know, is what I call it, where we constantly are on the move and changing jobs and positions or within an industry or whatever is you're just looking for that right fit someplace that you can you can call home or whatever.
1: Well, that, that's a good way to put it Some place that you can call home. And, uh, you know, I probably found that about 15 years ago, finally, uh, a, a place that I could call home. And, you know, so I'm there, I'm at home now. And uh, it, it feels good, you know, to be at home. <laughs> it feels good to know where home is. I, I always wondered where home was.
0: So while you were growing up and moving around, where were, you know, I, I call the informative years. Um, at least for an, a male child like like myself, most of the time, I th- I find that it's like between ages eight or ten to sixteen is where, you know, we're searching for our own identity. Did you? Uh, where was the place that uh, that most felt like home while you were jumping all around?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, it was more of just a survival, you know, probably in fourth grade. I, of course, I got bullied all the time because I was always the new kid, you know, so right. I got and I was, you know, just a little guy, you know, there's nothing, nothing about me and uh, shy, of course. And I go in and, and, and everybody always knew everybody except for me. You know, I was always a new guy. Well, One day, this kid that had been picking on me, he comes out. I'm waiting for my dad to pick me up outside in front of the school there. And I thought he was going to kill me, Rich. Uh, He hit me and knocked me to the ground. And I honestly, as I look back, I I thought he was going to kill me. I'm, I'm in fourth grade. And the next thing I know, I've got him in a rear naked choke. And, you know, it's all just a blur. I remember kids trying to pull me off of him because they said I was going to kill him. And, uh, <laughs> I'll bet that's the, the, the last ne- time he hit you. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. The next thing I know, my dad pulls up and yells at me and I run away from that kid. Yeah. That son of a gun never even looked at me again. Uh, you know, you know, we'd be walking down the hallway and he'd duck his head. He's scared to death of me. So I think I figured out a lot right there. You right. know, that was a defining moment in life right there.
0: And, and that's, that's a valuable lesson and it's a lesson that i don't feel a lot of kids over the last 15 years have have been able to learn
1: totally agree with that rich totally agree with that i think you know with your children and the and the and with my son i have one son and you know uh i try to you got to teach them how to hunt and kill their own food <laughs> you yeah. know that you, you got us sh- and you got to let them have the freedom to learn how to do that. Uh, because it's, it's not easy out in that world, you know?
0: Yeah. They, they need to learn to they not only learn success, but they need to learn failure because without failure, you can never really truly have success.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a metaphor I use, hunt and kill your own food. That, that, right. that's just a metaphor. Uh, that, yeah, they've got to fall on their face and, uh, I agree. Just too much parenting going on for God's sake. Let them son of a guns run. Yes. Let them run and figure it out. They're they're going to be OK. It's hard as a parent, though, because you can't let them kill themselves. I understand that. But uh, but too much safety and too much helicoptering going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely.
0: I I, I call some of the the parenting of really young kids, um, and it's probably going to make some people mad. But I call it free-range parenting, where they really don't discipline the kids when they're younger, and then it becomes harder to discipline them. But they then they start to hover over them. You know, they. It's almost like they're trying not to parent. You know, and it becomes now electronic parenting
1: oh okay okay you know what i mean
0: and so it's uh well i can get little johnny to calm down because he's got his xbox 2500 whatever and uh you know with his (laughs) goggles and and you know paddles and everything else and uh, Um, no real socialization
1: yeah absolutely absolutely social skills i i i've uh uh You know, suffered that when I I owned my business for about 16 years and social skills, social skills, social skills are very difficult to find in people. I had a let me just tell a little story about that. So. So we're here and I'm, you know, I'm in small manufacturing. We would make we make mesquite lamps and copper lampshades. And you've probably seen them. They're they're in about a thousand stores around the country. The business has been going on for about 43 years. And another gentleman, my spotter, Cole Bates, owns owns the business now. Okay. Well, so when I was running, and I had this old boy, and we were out chainsawing these logs together, and I'm trying to teach him and communicate to him, and uh, he's just you know he's just quiet. He's not uh, talking back to me. I'm asking, what did you feel about that? What'd you think about this? Do you understand this or that? And And he won't communicate to me. He's just he just doesn't have the words to spit out of his mouth, you know, and I get frustrated. I get frustrated. It's hard work. It's hot. We're sweating. I can't get him to communicate to me. He's a new guy. And uh, so finally, I kind of pick up the chainsaw, throw it in the back of the truck, get in the damn truck. I tell him and uh, we run into the shop area. And uh, go over to my general manager, his name was John, and I'm pretty lit up. And I'm like, John was working on the bandsaw, and I'm like, John, are we making lamps here? And he says, no, sir. Are we making copper lampshades here? He says, no, sir. I say, John, are you cutting lamps on the bandsaw today? He says, no, sir. And I go through a a list of things, and he says no to all of them a list of things that we are actually doing. And I say, John, what are we doing here? And he says, we're communicating, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is what we're doing. All this other stuff is just nothing. We are communicating. That's why we are successful. And so that is the most important thing. And that's what And our, you know, in the new world that we're living, kids are missing out on. Kids are missing out. on. I get a group of employees. I had this big table uh, in my shop there and we would all eat lunch there. And then the smartphone came along because this was a time when people could bond, you know, and talk with one another at lunch. And I required them to eat lunch there. And then the smartphones come along, Rich, and now everyone's got their head down into their damn phone. And uh, it wasn't too long of that, and I, you know, I, I eventually got out for many reasons. But I took the phones away from them uh, for a while. Uh, you know, I had everyone put them in a basket, and uh, and eventually, <laughs> you know, the world doesn't allow that anymore. You, you no. can't take somebody's phone away. Uh, you can't do it.
0: No, it's it, and and it needs to happen though. It's just like I can remember when I was managing an automotive repair business and the smokers would all go take smoke breaks seven minutes at a time because I timed it and this would happen like two or three times an hour and I was like yeah. all right I sat everybody down and I said or in groups actually so people could keep working and I said all right who here are smokers and they you know half of them raise their hands and I said, this is what how's, how this is going to happen. You get two 15-minute breaks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and you get an hour lunch. You can smoke to your heart's desire during those breaks. But if I see you out three times in an hour out smoking cigarettes, you're going to get written up. Three write-ups, you're fired. I'll find somebody that doesn't smoke. And everybody's like, well, why? And I said, productivity these guys over here you know look at the productivity numbers you know i could tell how many alignments guys were doing how many break jobs they were doing you know different work and the smokers were you know producing about 40% less than what the non-smokers were and it's same thing phones you know yeah, and no, then,
1: it's 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 very very difficult
0: you know and they, and now yeah. they don't uh, the phones the phones have, even though they've allowed us to more, access to more information quicker, I think it's dumbed down society.
1: Yeah, I, you know it's the same thing we were talking about. It's very difficult to find people with social skills that can walk up, give you a firm firm handshake, uh, look you in the eye and tell you a little story and get you involved in some conversation and s- start bonding with you. We uh, you know we're social creatures. Uh, That is the success of any organization is the social ability of those participants. Um, Like I said, with the communication story, we're not doing anything else but communicating. And if we don't do that effectively, it doesn't matter how we do alignments or lamps or anything else. We have to communicate effectively. So it's, you know, we're, You know, and you know, we're getting older, Rich. So, you know, the, you know how it is. Uh, You know, maybe, you know, maybe we don't understand some things. I don't know.
0: No, I think we understand them better than some of the people think. (laughs) You know, I get a kick out of people going, Oh, you're just a boomer. You know, you're a typical boomer. You know, I'm pretty happy and proud to be a boomer. (laughs) Cause I agree. You know, I, 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 there's things I don't understand about technology, um, but the one thing I do understand is people. And I think technology has its place, but it's become too invasive.
1: You know, I, I used to tell people, I had a crew uh, when I was really efficient. I'd have a crew of about five or six people really bonded together, really working well. And then a new guy would come along. I'd hire a new person. And I would and I'd have to teach them everything, of course, how to how to how to deal with life. And I would say, look, I'm fixing to let you loose. those group of five men in there. They're a pack of wolves. They're a pack of wolves. They're not going to care one damn thing about you. You go in there, you flip upside down, show them your belly and submit. Nobody wants to hear your ideas. Nobody wants to hear your complaints, blah, blah, blah. Just go in there and submit and wait for them to accept you into the pack. And then you can maybe say what you think or give it a, an idea, but you need to go and turn over. <laughs> and I think that did help some people, actually. I think that's
0: great advice. So anybody listening to that, remember that when you walk into something new, whether it's at a competition, whether it's at a new job, whether it's at a social event, um, you know, I tried to do that—that that same thing. You know, when I go wheeling with people I don't know, you know, I don't, Absolutely. I don't get out and tell everybody how to do things. I don't tell them. You know, I won't spot them unless they ask. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't push myself upon people I don't know, for the simple fact that, you know, I want to be able to communicate with them and you know, I have the kind of personality that can be probably overwhelming at times. And I know that.
1: So, well, you know, if you, if you talk too much, when you're new, people are going to call you a know-it-all. That's, that's, that's the common misperception is, ah, oh, he's just a know-it-all because, you know, you've just stepped out of line a little bit too quick and tried to take a place in the pecking order that you haven't earned yet. And so, you know, I, I, you want to talk about a pack of wolves, uh, Rich, that's uh, showing up in Congress, or no, not in Congress, but Baghdad, Arizona, <laughs> uh, in 2018, uh, and knowing nothing about anything. Uh, I mean, four-wheel drives or competition buggies or Anything like that. And I mean, you want to talk about stepping into a pack of wolves, show up to a competition knowing nothing. And it is a pack of wolves. That's what it seems like.
0: Oh, everybody's you know, the, a, a type A personality. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: They're super friendly, as you come to find out. But uh, it's rather intimidating when you first open that door uh, to We Rock, uh, knowing nothing about anything or anyone's name or any history of anything uh, can be be quite intimidating.
0: Right, I get it. So at what age did you realize communication was 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 a key
1: element in growing up? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know that uh, I think you know my dad was more of a philosopher, okay so okay. you know there wasn't we weren't doing things uh, with the hands too much. Uh, you know we were having a lot of conversations. we went fishing a lot and uh you know we talked a lot uh he he, he was a dreamer and uh, and so we explored kind of the universe and the nature of personal reality uh the nature of things is what we what we talked about so i guess it was just kind of you know that communication just put into me and and i was always the outsider rich uh, always the outsider, so i had to you know, we would move to a new city. I would be sitting there in the apartment. I'd see the kids out on the playground and it would take me a few days before I could walk out to that playground. But the day has to come. Your parents can't take you, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 11, 12 years old. My, I'll be damned if my parents are going to walk me into a bunch of kids. You have <laughs> got to put on your britches at some point. And walk down to all those kids, you know, playing soccer or, or ball in the yard, dodgeball, and you got to walk up to them. And that's scary as hell. Uh, but you learn how to communicate doing that. True,
0: true. Were you able to spend your high school years in one area?
1: Actually, I, I, I was for the most part. Uh, we ended up in Albuquerque, and I begged my parents to let me finish high school in one place. So that Albuquerque was the place. Uh, I was on the football team, a freshman there, and six weeks later, we moved. Uh. <laughs> uh. I, mean, you know, I thought I was in my forever home, and out the damn door we go. And, um, you know, we moved to El Paso, ended up uh, graduating high school uh, in El Paso. And and I had I had a I had a wonderful childhood. I mean, I had a great time. I You know, I I had a wonderful time uh, in high school, especially It, it was a blast.
0: Did you spend a lot of time outdoors? Those are areas with with, you know, vast amount of of accessible land.
1: I did. We, we we lived on the edge of the desert and uh, guys were running those square body Chevys and we'd go out to the sand dunes and, you know, uh, keggers, you know, uh, 16, 17 years old. Um, and I had a little motorcycle for a while I'd, I'd cruise around on. And uh, uh, yeah, so we were outside quite a bit. I mean, it was, you know, beer, uh, dirt uh, and girls. And, uh, school was somewhere in there, I think, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, school was a pain in the butt, you know, as far as I was concerned.
0: Yeah, I get it. That's why I joined uh yearbook <laughs> staff so I could write my own passes and take me and my
1: friends out of class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It- <laughs> you know, so but I, I never got exposed, you know, since my dad, I never got exposed to anything much mechanical. If, if something broke, I had to have somebody else fix it for me. Uh, so I went through a whole long way of really not ever picking up a wrench or knowing how anything worked. I didn't care. Uh, you know, I was I was doing other things. So, you know.
0: So then after high school, you're uh, you're in El Paso. I, I assume you graduate high school or you you leave high school. What was what
1: was the next step? Well, I, I graduated high school. I went to Harvard. Oh wow um, that next semester, Harvard on the border. Uh. <laughs> uh, that's what they call that's what they call the University of Texas at El Paso. Yeah, they call that tap, Harvard yep. on the border. <laughs> yeah. So I tell everyone, you know, yeah, I got out of Harvard. <laughs> Uh, And people immediately look at you different when you say that.
0: (laughs) I just did. You You can't visually see it, but I
1: did. You just profiled me. Yes. I I resent that. You're profiling me. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I I joined uh, Harvard there and uh, lasted about a semester. I was in the fraternity, had a .5 GPA. I was proud of that. Um, (laughs) Did you show up
0: to any classes besides
1: orientation? No, hell no. No, (laughs) no. I don't know how I got the 0.5. I smoothed somebody, you know. (laughs) I talked my way into that one. No, I didn't do crap. You know, so I'm like, this isn't any fun. And I just got out of college and went to work. And uh, so back to working, beer, and girls. (laughs) So what would you do uh, work-wise? Valet parking. So low hours and, and high money. Uh, but you know, a year and a half later, I realized, you know what, this isn't going to work.
0: Valet, you know, th-
1: Okay. Valet parking yeah. in El Paso. Yeah. At Sunland park, uh racetrack. Oh, okay. Yeah. And at a couple of high end restaurants, All right. you know, fine dining. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you realize this isn't going to work. I need a skill. Yeah. That took me a while to figure that out. I, I admire kids that are didn't know what they want to do and start on the path early, but that wasn't me. You know, I I need a skill. So I went to the college again and got back in and I said, talking with my counselor, I said, you know, I I want to do something that that is hard because I want when I walk out of here, I want somebody to want me and I want to be valuable. And he says, well, I said, I think I want to be in petroleum engineering, I told him. And he says, well, how are you in math? And I'm like, well, I'm not very good in math. And uh, he says, well, that could be a problem. And he says, why don't you go over to the engineering building and just walk through the hallways and check it out. And so that night I'm over there. No classes are in. And I come into this big auditorium, and there are five billion numbers on this chalkboard. I mean, just choke full of numbers and symbols. and And right there I'm like – uh, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, back Something not office. quite so hard. <laughs> yeah. I say, is there anything in the world that doesn't involve math? Because that's not me. I, I'm not doing that. And he says, well, business. And I was like, well, I want the hardest thing in business that a person can study. He says accounting. I'm like, sign me up. And uh, and so I, I, I did really well because, you know, I learned what it was like to not have a skill and I did fantastic. I mean, straight A's nice. and got through, got through pretty quickly and, uh, was uh, going to be a CPA and, uh, they're still working at the racetrack. They're the horse racing. And the owner of the horse track, uh, came up to me and says, Hey, I'm building a, uh, a new horse and dog track in Kansas city. And he said, uh, why don't you, uh, Come up there with me and check it out. Uh, Wheels up at seven in the morning. And uh, yeah, sure. okay. Uh, You know, I'm thinking valet parking, maybe. I don't know what it is. That's what I've been doing to get my way through college. And uh, so he has his uh, Mercedes uh, pick me up with a driver and we get out there to the airport and his just nice ass Learjet. Uh, red carpet, drinks, service. I'd never experienced anything like that. And I didn't realize it at the time, Rich, but he was doing something called whining and dining. And I was getting wined and dined. And uh, he knew how to do it. He put me on his Learjet. He gave me his Learjet to go back and forth to to, uh, the racetrack uh, because I was still working down there, back up to the construction site in Kansas City. And he gave me that Learjet for about a month. Wow. You just, you just tell them when you need to go. You get back and forth. I'll have a car there for you. Brand new Mercedes when I get off of it. Are you kidding me, Rich? Yeah, I'm going to accept that job. Yeah. I think
0: you communicated something very good to him,
1: whether you knew it or not. <laughs> oh, boy. So, well, that was all cool, but then when the party was over, you know, I uh, you know, I was in mid level management and just working my ass off. There was no Learjet or Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and then I learned what getting wined and dined meant. And I've been suspicious of that ever since. So he you know. trolled
0: you until he, he caught you. Did.
1: Yep. He, he did, Rich. Uh, he did a great job at, you know, creating an organization. If you have resources like that, I mean, imagine you if you had access to those kind of resources and, out, uh, you know, wanting competitors to come to your event. Can you imagine if you had could send a Learjet for them and blah blah blah?
0: <laughs> yeah, I had plans to do things like that, but I've never won the lottery. <laughs> and I do play occasionally.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, I know. So yeah, I uh, I don't know where we were, but I spent 22 years in that industry and wow. uh, worked in worked in Phoenix at the racetrack. In uh, director of operations was the title, just facilities management. It was a great time, just loved the career uh, until I didn't, and uh, it was just a, a you know it was a wonderful time. But it, it was corporate America, you know, and I, I, I turned 40 years old at that time and thought, you know, I had not been liking things. You're just kind of handcuffed, you know. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And I, I, you know, I wanted to express myself, all my skills, my marketing skills, my personal relationship skills, my policy skills. I had all kinds of skills that I wasn't allowed to develop because I'm in a large organization and I've got to do just my little part of the work, you know, Right. and getting to the top was difficult. There's a tiny little hole to get to the top. There's all these people that want to get to the CEO position and you know it wasn't going to happen. I don't think it. It wasn't. Um, people were kind of coming up over over the top of me at times and, and getting past me. And I realized, you know, I'm just going to be stuck here forever. And I had a midlife crisis for sure.
0: So, I think uh, I think that's common with a lot of people. I know it was with me. Um, I you know I talked about managing automotive repair facilities and I got to that same thing of course it was only 5 years in that industry but everything I did up until the rock crawling days nothing lasted more than 5 years because I just got I got restless
1: Mhm and yeah. just
0: moved on and tried something new So I, I get it
1: Well in the corporate world what especially in mid management what you want to do is you, you know I had about 150 employees Right. And about eight or nine managers under me. And the, the idea is to delegate everything. Of course, you have to, right? It's a, it's a large group. And, uh, well, I had gotten pretty good at that and delegated everything, and I did nothing. I came in and got my check and looked busy. And, uh, you know, I that was cool. That was neat that I created that reality for myself. It was free money for a while. And then you realize, well, this is boring as hell. This right. is no way to live. Yeah, the money's coming free. You're not doing anything for it. But this is no way to live. You know, I I need some challenge. I want to be challenged. You know, I want my turn up on the up on the stage. You know, so I uh, I I left that uh, career and um, wandered around a little bit and ended up buying a small company uh, in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And uh, boy, that that was just life changing. I mean, now I've, I've got a small business and you're, you're cleaning the toilets and you're setting policy and you're doing everything. And I loved it. I was I, I remember telling my good friend uh, and, and I cried when I told her, she said, how are things going for you there? This is maybe four or five months in. And I said, I'm free. I'm free. And I was free of that corporate uh those handcuffs that had been on me all those years you know what i mean right yep and uh, so i i did that and i was always playing the long the long game rich i put everything back into that business uh you know i I took nothing out for myself i was going for the long game uh, i grew the business about 35 percent a year it was a little bitty business when i bought it and ended up being a decent sized business when i was done Um, I grew it for about, I don't know, about 13 years. And, uh, yeah, I wanted a cash cow, right? That's what every business owner wants is that thing called the cash cow. And I said, well, I've been feeding this cow for 13 years and she looks like she's ready to milk. And, uh, it's, it's time for me to get my money, you know, and it's time for me to get paid. And, uh, I did that for a little while and I got paid. I got very fortunate. I got paid. And, um, you know, I, I I sold the business and uh, hopefully I have enough money to survive. I have no idea because I don't have that much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you figured out that you have what your your needs and wants are and that's on your balance sheet and you work away from that to to make that that level and as an accountant and that management skills that you've. Gotten. I'm sure you have it pretty much dialed in, and it's uh can be very liberating. I don't know if if that's the position you feel you're in or not, but I that's that's how I feel.
1: Well, Rich, I mean, come on. I mean, that that's that was just like you describe it. I would say that was me until I met you. Uh, (laughs) Uh, until I met competition rock crawling Ah. and that just blew that damn shit out of the water. Let me tell you, (laughs) we're operating on a whole different level now, Rich. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You've destroyed many, many people, uh, (laughs) their retirements. Trust me. Well, I like Uh, to think that
0: I provided the opportunity to live life.
1: Oh, you have. You definitely you you get a lot in return for it. You do. You get a lot of you pay back people stuff that you can't buy.
0: Right. Like their own adrenaline back.
1: Yeah. No, you can't just go buy adrenaline. No. You you provide stuff that's that that nobody sells and no amount of money can pay for it. So that that's why we that's why we we come see you. <laughs> <laughs> when I first at my first competition, uh I sat down with you, and man, I didn't know it was going to be that much fun, right? I didn't know. I didn't know, Rich. And about halfway through the first day, oh, my God, I'm like, ah, this competition stuff. This was last year only in Mason, and uh, I remember you were sitting under a tree or something. I'm like, oh, my God, Rich, you've destroyed me. I mean, I'm just (laughs) so into this. I mean, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And he's, I said, I, I called you a drug dealer. I yep. said, "Rich, you're a damn drug dealer." That's I figured it out first day. I figured it out. Pretty good, huh, for a new guy? Yeah, you're a damn drug dealer, and now I'm hooked. <laughs> Dang it! That's. Uh, Dang it. I always equate that that job of a promoter
0: is like a drug dealer that hangs out at the the elementary school and gives it <laughs> away for free, so you've captured them for the rest of their life. Oh, know. and
1: we were. We were we were so innocent rich till we, we all <laughs> ran into you you know
0: i'm a destroyer of innocence there you go
1: <laughs> that's awesome oh, you, i'm gonna oh, have a shirt made more. that of that <laughs> shelly has good. our shirt
0: that says uh, chaos coordinator i'm gonna have a uh, destroyer on there <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, innocent so, destroyer i like that just, yep yeah i like that so you're uh
0: you're no longer employed you're not working a job then you're just uh, kind of freelancing life now
1: uh, yes yes actually i i uh i tell you i was going along there about i don't know it was about four years ago maybe three or four years ago and i you know i i, I immersed myself into my business and did nothing but that and uh you know i you know, I was really trying to make a run at it late in life there. And, um, and then something happened. Uh, I mean, I'm working full steam, rich. I'm giving it a hundred percent of my, you know, everything to, to, to work that business. And so my, one day my girlfriend gets a little dog that she's got a babysit, a little chihuahua. And she says, well, at her house, she says, uh, well, the The little dog will be fine. She says, I'll come home at lunch and, uh, you know, I'll I'll let her out and and, and she'll be fine. Well, you know, I'm I'm an animal lover. I said, well, I said, I'm going to find a way to leave my office and come over and spend a little time with her other than that during the day because she needs a walk. Every dog needs a walk every day. And so the first day I go, poor little thing was scared hiding in the house, you know, and uh, I take her out. She's five pound chihuahua. And I take her out to the park and take her walking. And and that was when my life changed. I stopped. That's the first time I had stopped in about 13 years. I, st- I left my business, Rich. I mean, that's like, you know, you leaving during the middle of, a, of an event, you know, uh, to go walk a dog. And, well, that little dog just stopped me in my tracks and gave me a completely different perspective on life. And, and I was able to think for the first time, and um, the little dog changed my life, changed my life right there.
0: Wow, that's awesome. What was the dog's name?
1: Well, you know, my my racing team is Chiquita Racing, ah. and uh, that, that was the dog's name, Chiquita.
0: That is awesome. That's a great yeah, story. That's,
1: that's why it's named Chiquita Racing. And I uh, it took a couple of – about three years, but I started to uh, – look for the exit door in, in the life i was living and but that's where the door opened right there that day in that park and i continue to do that every day uh go over there and take her out and it just it just put the brakes on you know i you, you get so caught up in everything you know and um and you know it was time to focus on something else more important than the business and and i and i thought i had enough money to do it i probably don't i'm just I'm dreaming when I say that, uh, I'm anything, but, you know, a rich man, I'm dreaming when I say I have enough money, but I thought I'm young enough, uh, to go do something else enjoyable right now. I want to rock crawl full time and I can always go back to work, you know? I mean, but I can't always rock crawl. And I'll tell you, I was in the park one day with that little dog and I, and and we passed this old guy. He must've been 105 years old rich and he's on two canes and he's walking about three inch steps. Okay. But he's out doing it about three inches at a time. He, we go by him. I turn around and look at him, you know, walking away. And I say to myself, he's not rock crawling. You better get this done. (laughs) So
0: here I am. Here I am. So when did you first get the bite for off-roading?
1: Well, my buddy owned a uh, or didn't own, he had a little just uh what do you call it? amateur shop downtown, a garage, he'd do work for people. And I used to go down there and visit him, and I loved the camaraderie of those guys. They were having fun working on those cars and they were struggling and it was exciting to me. They'd get a bunch of guys up underneath there to lift an engine down or you know and everybody was dirty and greasy and then I wanted to be a part of that. Uh, And that's where I first got a bite. And uh, I asked the guy, should I buy a side-by-side or a Jeep? I didn't know anything about anything. This was only six years ago. And the guy said, well, you know, probably a side-by-side. Well, we go to Arizona. I rent side-by-sides. I realize what side-by-side I need. And I just got a little utility side-by-side, right? A six-seater with a bed in the back. And. And my son reminded me of this the other day. All I wanted to do was get in that side-by-side, go out in the desert, which I live out in the middle of nowhere, and cook bacon and pancakes. That that was my goal. That was level one, Rich, level one, bacon, bacon and pancakes out in the desert. No and, eggs, huh? No, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I not, get it. <laughs> not the way he told me. And uh, so then uh, – We got a 50th birthday for a friend coming up in Vegas. I'd been to Vegas a lot in my life. I wanted to do something different. And I get on there and say they have these rock crawling tours. What the hell is rock crawling? I don't know. And uh, but I look at the pictures. I'm like, that looks cool. I tell him we could be in like a Jeep and everything. And we go out on this rock crawling tour in Vegas. And we're rich. We're going over rocks. I'm not kidding you that are four to six inches big. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I know you've heard this story. It's unbelievable. Uh, We're going up ledges that are probably three feet in elevation at a 45 degree angle. I am just, I'm bit. I mean, I get back from there and I go by a Jeep, just like the one we were in, you know, a Rubicon on 37s, pretty nice rig. And, uh, we get out. A buddy of mine had a little TJ and he takes me out a couple of times. And then after the first couple of times out of banging up that Rubicon, that damn expensive Rubicon, uh, I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> why are we just out here crawling over these stupid ass rocks? This makes no sense. And then I saw people I saw people would break their stuff and like, why would you come out here? And break your perfectly good stuff. This is just ridiculous. And so I left it. I had told my girlfriend, we're like, that's stupid. Let's just go up and drive on the forest roads and blah, 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 blah. So how I got from that moment to where I'm at now, Rich, I'm not for sure. I'm not for sure. Something happened along the way. Um, (laughs) I
0: I think there's more camaraderie with breaking stuff. Than there is with just scenic wheeling.
1: That's the whole game right there. The the solving the puzzle is what keeps us in it. Yep. You know, you get out there and that's what I learned. Eventually, I think that's what probably got me going is that uh, there's a puzzle out here, Skip, and it's an infinite puzzle. You'll never figure it out in your lifetime. uh, All of it. You'll never master any of this stuff. Uh, and that, that was the hook eventually. Like I just started just going crazy over it, you know? I mean, just, just crazy over it. And I eventually, uh, you know, I, I tried to meet everyone and everyone. I just, I went out and joined all the groups, did as much running as I could, learning as much as I could. Uh, saw a guy, was following a guy one time at Chili Challenge. And I see this big axle under this big pumpkin under his jeep, and I ask him what what is why is that so big like that? And he says, "Well, those are tons." And I said, "What's a ton? I've heard of that before." He explains it, and I'm like, "Well, that's what I need." So I went and got a TJ on tons, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's when the you know the fixing and mechanicking really started to to come into play, and I started to learn a little bit of stuff. You know, and um, I still don't know how I made the leap up to the JHF moon buggy, but somehow I did. I, like I said, I, w- what happened was somebody had mentioned to me, you know, if you ever get the chance to see those guys competing up in Farmington or wherever, you should go. They do amazing stuff. And uh, two days before the event in Baghdad, I decided, you know what, I'm going to fly over to Arizona and go up to that Baghdad event and see what the hell these guys are doing. Uh, cause I'd looked at videos and it just seemed stupid Why going through cones and these weird looking cars. And it just <laughs> seemed stupid to, it seemed absolutely ridiculous to me. And I wasn't interested in it at all, but I wanted to go see what it was about. And I knew I had to do it face to face and I, I'm getting to another defining moment. So we get there, my son, his family were, were there and you know, everyone was real friendly to us. Uh, we feel like a fish out of water, Rich, you know, like a fish out of water, man. And we go in, we're watching the 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 event and everything, trying to figure out what's going on. We don't know what anybody's doing. They're just, you know, all over. Uh and I'm standing next to Jeff McKinley's car, Iron Man number 34. Yep. And I keep looking at it, looking at it. I'd never and you know, I see Cody Wagner drive by in his little car, get an interview from somebody, and I'm looking at that. Strange looking machine, and uh, my son says, You know, you ought to go over and talk to that guy, and I'm like, I will, I will. I was, I was scared, you know. And I went over, and it was Mitchell, uh, Jeff's uh, spotter, and he spent about 45 minutes with me, Rich, telling me what the hell that car was, and that was it. I mean, it, he changed my life, and I wrote Jeff a letter, uh, just not that long ago telling him that story. Uh, If if that guy would have shrugged me off, Rich, I I wouldn't be where I'm at today. But he dropped, you know how busy it is at these competitions? He dropped everything he was doing, knew I was a new guy, and and just spent all that time with me explaining stupid-ass questions, you know, what motor's in it, what are those axles, blah, 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 you know. If he wouldn't have done that, Rich, we wouldn't be talking right now, you know. That's awesome. Um, Great guy. Great guy came back and uh, two days later told my buddy what I had seen. He says, Oh yeah, that's Jesse Haynes. Who the hell is Jesse Haynes? I don't know. Well, he has these chassis and that's what they're doing. And we bought one two days later, bought a chassis. (laughs) Two days later, Jesse posted one up. We're sitting there at work and he says, Hey, Jesse just posted up one of these chassis. I think it's chassis number four. And I said, hell, let's get it. And just like that, boom, we email or, you know, text him says, we'll take it. And, and off we went, off we went, boy, oh boy. <laughs> down the, down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Coming back out of Baghdad, I was sitting in the back of the car. My son was driving and I just kept saying, my life has changed. My life has changed. They're looking at me kind of funny. Like, what do you mean? They didn't understand what I had experienced. And what I wanted to experience at that point was the ultimate, in rock crawling. And that's what Mitchell had told me. This is the ultimate machine, rock crawling machine. There is no nothing above this. This is the ultimate that the world has to offer. And I wanted some of it. It's true. So, boy, oh, boy, Rich. And uh, about five million dollars later. Here
0: <laughs> <I am>. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's great because, you know, you can always sell it and recoup all your money back.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah, sure. You <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Maybe the interest uh-huh. it would have ha- made in the bank, you might get back. <laughs>
1: no, I'm kidding. But like we say, you know, I, I had traded my money for time before that. I said, I'm going to give up the money and I'm going to get the time. And uh, and that's what I'm doing. I'm spending my time is what I'm doing. And I'm living life uh, to the absolute fullest. Thanks to a uh, large part. Thanks to you and your organization.
0: And where, where do you
1: see yourself in five years? Okay, well, here's how it works, I've learned, okay? Every time you, you, you achieve something in this game, you achieve something. Whatever it is, whatever level it is, you achieve it. And then about shortly after you achieve it, you look up and you realize there's another level and another door. You can't really see that from the level you're on until you get up to that level. And then you're like, okay, well, there's another level, huh? Well, I want to experience that. And then so you 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 work and you work and in one day you realize I've achieved this level that I wanted to to do. And then you realize, oh, well, there's another level there. And so honestly, Rich, I don't know where the levels end. I'm just taking it one level at a time right now, right now today. I want to go to Cedar City, and I want to finish. I don't want to finish last. If I finish anything but last, I will consider it a personal. I'll, I'll be a champion. I'll be a champion if I don't finish last. Uh, if I finish last and I know i got a bunch of work to do, uh, but I'm just, you know, the next level for me is to get in and just and, and just not finish last if, if possible. <laughs> I, I I think
0: you have a good a good chance of not finishing last. Um, watching you, not really, truly watching you this last weekend there in Mason, you know, we were on, everybody was running Jake Good's first set of We Rock Courses and they were difficult. You know, you had, they challenged everybody. I think they would have even challenged a lot of the West Coast guys. You know, the, there's a, unfortunately there's, there's a The guys on the West Coast get to practice all the time or they have the opportunity to or they have so much experience that maybe they don't need to practice as much right at the moment. But they can get into their cars, somebody like Jesse Haynes and or Cody and and perform at a high level and understand what that car is going to do when they do, you know, whether it's whatever tools they're using that that car provides to get across the train, it's it's almost uh, muscle memory, and I don't think that 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 our East Coast competitors or Central competitors have had that that time competing to to challenge those guys, and I think that the, they got challenged. Y'all got challenged pretty good. This last weekend. And I think that uh, that's a good step to being able to get to that that next level. So I think you have a really good shot going into Cedar City.
1: I I appreciate that. I I have realized I realized this going into Mason last weekend that uh, and, and looking forward to Cedar City that I have a I have a bit of an advantage that I didn't have last year. And that's that We have a new course designer and it's going to help level the playing field. I'm hoping uh, because the courses were different from what everybody t- well they were different because I did the competition the year before they were way different yes the the whole experience was different and so that that's an advantage to me because uh, they haven't uh, run with this course designer yet uh, and I have only run once with him so I I got a little taste of Jake uh, and uh, so it's a bit you know just a just a hair of an <laughs> of, a, of an advantage to level that playing field. Uh, that they're not running on the same course designer they, you know, have had for years and years. You right. know, it, it helps me because it's going to be new to them, too.
0: And I, I think not only does it is it going to help the new guys or, or the newer guys like yourself. um, You know, we we you know, you were talking about getting hooked and having that conversation, you know, that we had, you know, oh, you're a drug dealer thing that I had that conversation with at least four, maybe five guys this week. Brand new guys that were their first event or maybe their second event. Maybe they'd been to one before but watched and it was their first event this time. And I got the same response this weekend. So Jake did a really good job of hooking them. Even though some of those guys maybe didn't finish a course at all or only finished one course out of the eight that they ran, it was still... They were hooked. They know that that's a challenge. They they want to overcome that challenge, and I think that that uh, that that's going to be good. And I think that the I think the sport for the future is in really good
1: hands. I I couldn't agree with you more. Jake Jake is just I mean he's anointed by angels to take over for you. I, I, there couldn't <laughs> be a better person on earth. I mean there couldn't. After being spending the the first competition with him uh, I mean, he just slid right in. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, he's fantastic for us.
0: Right. And I, I think he's going to be great for the, for the sport. And I know he's great for we rock. Um, Shelly and I were talking about that, that, that we did good picking, picking the person that's going to, you know, pick up the reins and, uh, and lead the wagon train
1: forward. So it's, it's, yeah, it's cool. It's, a, it's Yeah, it's an absolute perfect fit. And he kicked our, he kicked our ass, uh, with those courses. And I, you know, see, you were talking a little bit about this earlier, uh, about the competition level and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, uh, we're in big giant boulders and I have the only portal car, Rich. And it's a, I don't care what anybody thinks. It's a distinct advantage. Uh, there was stuff that I was just, that nothing stops that car except me the driver nothing stops that car it's unbelievable what that car does compared to a you know a, a lower axle and uh, and and it kicked my butt i mean uh you know uh boy it's 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 exciting i had finished the the a2 uh with about a 10000th of a second we figured out uh, <laughs> no but, kidding you know before I timed out, well, I went into A3 and of course, this was the second day and Cole and I had decided we have to finish, you know, no matter what, we cannot DNF. And I hit that A3 like a rock bouncer and we're down to the last gate. Cole says, settle down, settle down. we got four minutes. I couldn't stop, Rich. I, I couldn't change modes. Uh, I just rock bounced <laughs> the hell out of that son of a bitch out there. finish with like three and a half minutes. Of, I, I couldn't turn myself off. it's like a motor that you, the kill switch is broken. I I couldn't turn myself off. I was in that mode. And, um, so that was a new experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: The one on two you did, uh, everybody looked like, you know, they heard the countdown and you know, the I could see the judge looking at the stopwatch and watching your front tires. And she turned away from the stopwatch Watched your tires, hit the button, and those things, when they go to zero, start to beep. And I was close enough that I would hear that beep, and it said zero, and there was no beep. <laughs> so, you know, it was, she pushed the button at the same time the beep would have started as you came across the line. So, I mean, that's as close as you can get to, you know, pulling a, a 40 minus your progressions, as opposed to, you know, a negative score. So, you know, you, you, didn't, have any, you didn't have any spare time.
1: No, and I had, uh, you know, one of my mentors, uh, well, I had, I had two mentors. I, I want to mention their names before Absolutely. we get uh, off into things. And that's uh, George Zoros and uh, Steve Marquardt. Yep. Uh, those two guys have gotten me to level after level after level. And uh George was uh, my first mentor here. He's in New Mexico, you know, and that guy just uh I mean he what a great teacher and patient and uh knowledgeable and just really took me under his wing to start me in this competition arena. And I can't thank you enough, George. That's and awesome. the same with the same with Steve. I had the opportunity to spend a bunch of time in Texas with Steve, just him and I. Uh, for i think it was three or four days which is a lot of time uh, just him and i and uh and that guy just uh he's a thousand times the driver i am has a thousand times more knowledge than i have and i'm slowly extracting it out of him and you know he's got a disadvantaged car a great car but it is at a disadvantage he can't unlock his axles he doesn't have cutting brakes uh, et cetera, et cetera. And going into the last course on Sunday, he was only two points behind me.
0: Yes. So, you
1: know, there, there's nothing, there's nothing fancy about my driving skill to have that guy, you know, he just overcome it with experience. You know, he overcome my portal car with just incredible experience. You know,
0: one of the things that cracks me up about Steve is he'll walk the courses and he'll go, Oh my God, I'll never finish this. I don't know why they (laughs) put a course in like this. And then he finishes it. You know,
1: or uh, yeah, the whole day, bef- the whole day before he's like, I'm not running unlimited. I'll, I, it's, it's just a waste of money. I'm not doing that. There's no way I can compete with you in there. I, I don't have the car. And <laughs> yeah, OK, we're on the last course and the last day and he's two points behind me. Give me a break.
0: <laughs> and, and you're driving one of the, you know, a premier chassis and designed car. And he's in this transaxle buggy that that he's driven that he knows really, really well. And, you know, there w- and if he hadn't have pointed out and drove out the start finish gates instead of cutting soon enough to make the turn into gate five, you know, it might have been a different story.
1: Oh, he could have. He had many opportunities to beat me. Many, op- I had many opportunities to beat myself. Right. So it's just the luck of the draw, really, just the way it comes down. Yep. You know, Um uh, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm losing my thought. I was going to say something else about Steve and his car. Oh, You know, it's like playing. Uh, it's like uh, for me, it's like uh, Steve is so much more experienced and skilled and smarter than I am. Uh, but I've got I've got the car. OK, which kind of levels the playing field. And I tell people it's kind of like I'm going to go play tennis uh, with John McEnroe for you old guys out there. I'm going to go play tennis with John McEnroe and i'm going to be competitive against him now the only difference is i'm going to be using his racket and he's going to be using the palm of his hand <laughs> and that's what it's like competing with steve in that, in his car right and uh, but we're working on getting him a car i can't go into all those details but uh, he's going to get a he's going to get a great car i think uh, coming up fairly soon oh. and he's going to he's yeah yeah i'm not going to go into the details no but I've been we, I've been working with him and and we're talking with other people and this and that and they they know who they are out there. Um, uh, we're going to get him a good car and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that because beating him in his car does not impress me. I, I'm not you know I'm not satisfied at all. You know
0: I get it. I get that. Well, that'll be yeah. that'll be an interesting change because I do believe that Steve, you know. It, he'll have to learn to drive those, a, a car with those kind of tools, um, which he's not used to. So he'll have, to, there's a whole bunch of me- muscle memory he'll have to, uh, he'll have to learn. But that's, uh, that'll be interesting because he keeps calm, you know. And that's one of the things that, that guys need to understand is, you know, if you screw up on one obstacle, you can't let it destroy your, the rest of your day. You know, um, the, the Mexican teams, Max and Luis, you know, they, uh, they broke an axle the first day and I told Luis, you know, you got a spare? And he goes, yeah, I got a spare, but I don't think it's the right one. I said, we'll find out. And like, there was three or four of us that said, you won't know until you tear it apart. Well, finally, you know, that night they tore it apart and sure enough, it was the right one. Well, they could have knocked that out and and had a car. Maybe they would you know, had to take breakdown time, but you know, they would have been able to, you know continue and at least not just take 40s and uh you know it's just one of those things that you know you got to push forward and not not let things get you down
1: you know but i gotta say that with life you know oh good point yeah good point that's that's absolutely correct um
0: so do i see a team coming about then chiquita racing team or something is that what i see what what i hear
1: was Steve involved? Yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna be brutal enemies out on the competition course. Okay, I mean, good. You know, hell <laughs> I, I doubt we'd ever be in bed together like that. Okay. Uh, unless, unless I retire from it, you know. No, we're gonna I'm his student and I'm I'm looking to kick his kick his butt every chance I can, which I haven't ever done really. So <laughs> Good. <Awesome. laughs> you know. Um and uh, and then the next level is coming up at the end of the month, like you say, the West Coast guys. Uh, and I've run with uh, some of them; have been real kind to spend time. I've spent time with Mad Cow and uh, some seat time, and and of course Woody, who just kind of started in his portal car. Uh, but I haven't run with um, too many JHF buggies, and uh, so that's the next level for me is just to get time with other JHF moon buggies or or, or portal cars. They don't have to be JHF, right? Uh, or or portal cars. A portal is a game changer from where I'm a new guy. I know. Don't anybody get upset, but the portal from where I see, I have one. It's a game changer. I think
0: in Mason this, this week it was for sure.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Because of the boulders and everything moving around and being able to get up on top. I mean, you saw cam, you know, he was just trying to drag his belly everywhere and just getting hung up. Yeah,
1: Depends on the terrain. Absolutely. Yes. Good point. Cedar is one.
0: cedar is much more stable. Um, yeah, the breakover. You know, there's some breakovers that it might help on. You know, an angled breakover or something like that. But you know, there's there's way to drive drag axle cars without the, you know, or a a non high
1: heeled portal car. To a Good get, point. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I had the advantage in the terrain that we were in. Yeah, I do want to make sure and be clear about that for anybody that doesn't have that. I'm certainly not dissing any car. I hope no. people don't take it the wrong way. No, and, uh, and, and I that, think
0: and, and I try to tell people, you know, you don't have to have portals to be competitive. Does it help? Yes. But yeah, is it going? Is it a game changer? It can be. But if you know your car and you know, you know what lines you can take and how to approach the the course with the terrain given. You know you can do it without portals.
1: Yeah, like Steve, like Steve Marquart just did. Yes, I mean that was impossible. What he just did, it was impossible. What he did in that car, it was impossible from my perspective. But he did it. That you know the driver is the most important tool, obviously, and he he's he's a great driver. Yeah. Uh, but but there were times when I would come down and and. Uh, you know, have a boulder that would say be, uh, 18 inches up above my axle in front of me. I just hit the gas. I, I, the car just goes over anything. It just, I I just hit the gas and I don't know what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. So, so
0: you're, uh, getting ready for Cedar. Are you, uh, going to try to get out there early and and run some of the past terrain or you know there's still uh there's still marks to show where things were at but uh some of the locals could, well, could show you if they so were so interested
1: if, if we can I, I if we can i i want to uh i want to uh mention my spotter cole bates and thank him for everything that he's done for me uh, he worked his ass off. Uh, it, it, you know, he's got the business and kids and a family, and it's hard for him to get away. So if we can, we'll get there and do a little bit of pre-running. I'm comfortable with that kind of terrain, uh, as opposed to Farmington, right? Um, and so I'm not nervous about the terrain. I'm, uh, I tell you a story about being nervous and being afraid. Uh, I've been listening. Uh, the guy that uh, did the movie or the documentary Free Solo, he's a rock climber. Okay. And, and they climb without ropes. Right. Okay. You've probably seen it hopefully. And you know, they might be hanging out on a 3000 foot edge and they've, all they've got is their little powder bag. Right. And, uh, they're climbing it com- extremely dangerous. Ex- the most, fr- I get sick when I see him. Well, his name's Alex, uh, uh, Hon- Honnold, something like that. And, um, I've been listening to him. He talks around the country and with various experts and things like that. People want to know, how does he overcome fear? And uh, I think one thing I took away from him was he said, well, first of all, you practice. OK, so you know what you're getting into. You practice, 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 practice with ropes in his case. And, you know, every single move you're going to make and then you're confident when you do it without the rope. Okay,
0: but he says <laughs> not me. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, yeah, I know. But it, it pertains to kind of what I'm going through in rock crawling. Uh, he said that uh, fear and excitement are very close emotions, and so switching from fear to excitement, he said, is not that difficult to make that mental switch. And I have tried this. He's right. Uh, but you do have to be prepared. So, you know, fear of standing in front of a freight train, you're not going to flip that over to excitement. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but they're very close. So I, you know, like going into Cedar city against this very high level competition. Uh, yeah, I'm scared, but if I just flip that a little bit, I am so excited to see and be close to these guys and learn from them. And, um, as opposed to when in Farmington last year, I came up to you and said, "There is no way I'm running those unlimited courses, Rich. I can't do it. Um, I'm afraid. I'm not prepared. I'm going to leave out of here in a helicopter with no car." And you were so gracious, and you're like, "Absolutely, go run in Sportsman's Day and have a good time." And uh, so, you know, it's about it's a matter of being prepared. And and we're going to get up to Farmington this next month. That's our whole. Uh, on our agenda uh, with uh, Matt Brunwasser up there and we're going to run those unlimited courses in Farmington and see if we can't get some seat time and get comfortable on the edge of those cliffs, you know?
0: There's a lot more traction up there than, than you think looking at that and and they're steep and they're big drops. But part of that is I'm going to give away a secret, at least for me, it may be, totally different with jake at the helm
1: but i try cool. that's, scary. <laughs> that's scary that's scary i'm back to now i'm back to fear thanks rich i was excited and then you brought jake into the now i'm scared now no, I'm scared. But,
0: but i i think that you know you're still going to see the same terrain i mean it's not like we have a whole lot of different things we can do up there i mean the angles and the the cone placements always make things different but you know the basic terrain is still up there you know it's huge and th- if you get used to just being on that edge, and knowing that you know you can maintain traction and stability on that stuff, and get past that you know it's sixty foot below you or eighty foot below you, um, you know that's that's the key.
1: And, I, I agree. You, you know, know it's just it's just seat time. Yes, and practicing and working into it slowly
0: yeah standing on the standing on those edges
1: yeah and you know one problem found, you know they got those big walls and you got to hit them hard and all that i can do downs right cuz downs are easy you just go over and go down gravity. I mean, whatever that's, <laughs> that, yeah that does not take a really i don't think a lot of experience maybe experience to not crash but experience as far as making the drop well that's easy anybody can do that Um, you know, but I found when I light that car up, you know, and on a big climb and I haven't done it a lot that, that all the information coming into my brain, my brain just goes to like a blur. I lose my hearing. I lose my vision. I lose my thoughts. It's too much information coming into my old brain. It just can't process it. So, oh boy, we'll see what happens. Practice. Yep. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm nervous even thinking about that right now.
0: <laughs> well, you have, you have the rest of the season to, uh, to get over that. Yes. True. True. Yeah. Cedar, yes. Cedar and, uh, and Rangeley are not, uh, as big. Neither is, uh, you know, nothing's as big as Farmington. I mean, that's just, that stuff is just, it's
1: vertical, you know? Yeah. That's what I've heard. A lot of people don't go. I've talked to a lot of people in the east and this and that and other people and they say I won't do Farmington. Not gonna happen. Wow. So
0: that's crazy because that's such an iconic place. And yeah, we've and yeah, we've yeah. never we've never hurt anybody there. I, I take that back. We you know Uriel <laughs> I take that back. Well okay. Uriel went <laughs> off it up in his ProMod car, which is massive. I mean it's a rebuilt Toyota and it's not, you know, a true ProMod. It's it, it's built from a truck frame. And he went off a bonus that truly was only designed for the Unlimiteds to take. And I told guys, I said, you know, you you don't have to take every bonus out there. I mean, everybody goes, yeah, but you put the cones on it. Well, he had the lead. He thought if he got that bonus, he could keep the lead. And he went off of that without being able to get set up properly and pinned the front bumper on a a, ri- a little ridge there and wasn't able to get the car to continue down the hill, except upside down. And when Ugh. it hit, it hit hard. And had he not taken that bonus, he probably would have won the event anyway. Wow. But he, wow. he wanted to push and make sure that he could. And, you know, he, he rung his bell pretty good on that. And, wow. uh, but that's, you know, that's the only one that I can remember getting a bell ringer, except for maybe Charlie Vaca. And again, it was probably on something that he he shouldn't have he shouldn't have gone for. So there's always that yeah. better part of valor is, you know, do I really need that bonus, or is somebody else going to screw up on it?
1: Yeah, and and I learned I learned uh, something this uh, again something new this last weekend that I didn't know, and that's that uh, drivers want to do more then they should, and spotters are the reasonable ones. Yes, and, and I saw that. I saw that across the board in many instances. I didn't know this. I didn't know that because I'm always fighting with my spotter. Like, no, let's do the bonus. Let's do this. Let's go for that. Blah blah. blah. And he's always not. Nah, you shouldn't do that. It's too too. We should just blah 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 blah. And I I find that uh, many spotter and drivers have that dynamic with each other. So I'm going to work on that, giving my spotter a little bit more leeway. And I told him the second day because I screwed us the first day. And I said, Cole, I tell you what, we're going into the second day. If we have a disagreement on strategy, you're going to make the call. It's your call, 100%. I'll do what you tell me to do. And, um, well, we won. So I guess that's, that's something for that.
0: Wow, that's interesting because typically the spotter is the one, if you win, it was the driver. And if you lose, it's always the spotter's fault. That's what I've <laughs> learned. But it's you know, it's not necessarily the truth. It's just what is portrayed
1: (laughs) yes yes and i talked to a lot of spotters and drivers at the event of course and they i kind of got the same story from them that uh you know the spotters were wanting more say so because they were making better calls than the drivers overall the drivers just would not listen to them and i heard this is kind of pervasive uh in the sport that that dynamic you know so we tried to just interrupt that dynamic and i said you're making the call if it's a disagreement between us, it's yours. Uh, and uh, it seemed to work. Maybe we'll do that going forward, too.
0: Yeah, I saw a couple of spotters that were just almost willing to walk away um, on course because the driver wouldn't listen.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And like with Cole, I know my car. I'm, 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 I'm a, a advanced, uh, you know, further than he is in driving this stuff. And I think I know everything better. But it's really not true all the time. Cool.
0: So any last thoughts, any, uh, I, yes, I do.
1: Okay. I do. Thank you. I've got a, I've got a question for you. Uh Oh yeah. Go ahead. What, what, and maybe people have asked it. What do you think this whole thing is going to look like? It's been 20 years for you. What do you think it's going to look like in the next 20 years? The sport? Yeah. What's going to happen with all this stuff?
0: I think, I think right now, If you'd asked me this the end of last year before Jake committed, I would have said, Good luck. I think now the sport is in good hands instead of good luck, see what the future holds with somebody else trying to start from new. Um, You know, the uh, being able to take something that's already built and just massage it to fit maybe some new ideas or some new concepts is a lot easier than starting from scratch with any business, um, or most businesses, maybe in tech, that's maybe in tech, that would probably be the only thing that I could think of that might not be the case because so much tech is brand new. Um, but I think that for the next 20 years that the sport's going to be in really good hands, I think that, uh, that you're going to see vehicles mirror what is being done by manufacturers, meaning power plant wise. Um, you know, I think you're going to see more electric vehicles coming out. Will they have portal axles? Probably. Will they have uh, all the all the tools that uh, the cars nowadays have? Yes, but I think you're going to start seeing, you know, some innovation in in drivetrain or at least power plant. Um, I I really hope that we we can find more more areas to to use. I know Jake is able to, you know, they cut all that new course area up or out. Um that I couldn't have done. I could not mm-hmm. have done that by myself or even with just one person helping. But them getting out there and cutting all that new course area Really helped to define the start of his course designing career being able to get fresh area, look at things at a different different angle, but yet still come up with the same kind of results um, which is you know a competitive competition was fantastic and so I think that uh, I think the sport's in really good hands and I think that we made the right decision going after the right person to take over.
1: Okay. Very interesting. That's all very good to know. Um, and I agree with, I agree with that about Jake. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to his brand, you know, coming forward. Um, I, I think he's going to enhance it. I mean, he, like you say, it's easier to take something and enhance it than start from nothing. Um, so a lot of that credit goes to you obviously as well. And another thing I wanted to mention was, you know, I got on this pod. I don't deserve to be on this podcast, Rich. Oh, yes, but you do. We talk- <laughs> okay. Thank you. We talked about it and we, we, you know, you had mentioned the word current history, you know, which, well, okay. All right. There, there, there's your end current history. I got it. But more so, you know, when I had reached out to you, I'm the new guy and I wanted to share a story, uh, my story, which we have of being the new guy. Uh when I ran my business, I didn't want to know what the 15 year old uh, or the 15 year customer thought of me. He's been my customer for 15 years. I want to know what the guy that just walked in the door five seconds, exactly right now, what does he what does he see? And that first five seconds is going to determine everything and what is what is going through his mind. That's the information that I want to advance my company with. And so that's kind of what I wanted to offer uh, uh, to everyone listening out there. And I hope there's people. Well, I know there is Christian over in Las Cruces. I'm talking to you right now. I got Christian rich. He's on the, I got him on the hook and I'm reeling him (laughs) in. Okay. And he's coming in. He's not fighting too hard a little bit. (laughs) He's not fighting too hard, but we're going to get Christian in as a competitor. And I want to let everyone else know out there that, if I can do this, you can do this. I came into this with zero knowledge. Uh, I don't have a lot of mechanical ability, but everyone will help you. This, this sport and this group of people, like we were talking about earlier, what it's all about is helping one another stand up. And so you're not on your own. You, you come in and once the pack, uh, recognizes you, they're going to do everything they can to make sure you have an experience. And I mean everything, even give you money at times. I have given people money, Rich, because I want to see them uh, with us. You know, it's a it's a tight family. And and then that new person coming in is the most important person. Listen to this new person out there. When you walk up to an event, a spectator or a competitor, know this you to us those that are there, that are in it you are the most important person in our lives because you are the future and we need you and and uh we want you and we'll do everything we can to to get you going this is um uh, this is a very welcoming group of guys uh when the helmets go on maybe different story because you know that's that but uh, otherwise you're not going to find a better group to belong to and, and someone will take you under their wing, and they're going to get you where you need to go. And so come out and join us. Christian, hello, Christian. Uh, come on over because, like everyone says, it will be the best wheeling you've ever done. Period. End of story. I can attest to that. It's not even a close call.
0: I agree. So <laughs> okay. I agree
1: 100% with everything
0: you just said. I, I'm dying okay. to meet Christian now.
1: Yeah, Christian. Oh, he's good. Oh, you know his ears right now are popped up. Oh my goodness, because he listens to your podcast. See, he's interested in the history and the knowledge, and he's interested in all these things. And that's the type of person that ends up with us. You know, the type of person that what you know that that is curious, right? Just curious. So, all you curious people that are sitting out there on the sidelines, you are the most important person to us. Please come up. Ask me a question. Shake my hand. Get in my car. Do whatever, because uh, we need you. We need you. That's awesome.
0: I think that that Cody Wagoner has done a great job in in letting people drive his car and you know to get uh, to build interest with other people. You know, maybe it it might take you know, the next two or three, four years till we see some of those guys. But I think that he's done a wonderful job at that. You know, luckily we have some dads out there like Wyatt Brown that, uh, you know, with his son Landon, who's been competing for a few years now and Gunner, that's going to start competing next year. It's, uh, you know, I think our sport is in good hands with, uh, with not only those young kids, but also with, with people like yourself who, you know, have found the passion for off-road competitive rock crawling and what it means to them.
1: I agree. And I want to make sure that I emphasize one other little side note to this is that I don't know how to build a car, Rich. I don't know all this stuff. I don't, I probably couldn't fix my engine. It needs a computer. I don't understand all that crap. I don't, I don't care about it either. I can fix a lot of stuff when it's broke, but there are so many people that will help me and have helped me and they keep me going. And so you don't have to have all this. You don't you don't have to have all that to have a good time. Uh, Maybe, you know, I, I can't I cannot imagine what it would be like to be Jesse Haynes and show up to that first competition in that portal car. And what that must feel like to have invented and created that yourself or any builder, for that matter, that made progression that must be an unreal feeling. And I will never experience that, but I'm telling the new guys out there, you don't need to experience that to have the time of your life. Uh, these other builders and, and, uh, competitors need you to buy their products. Okay. They need you to buy their products. Uh, they're for sale. They want you to, that's how they're feeding their family. There's nothing wrong with buying a car. And coming out, no one's gonna look down at you. Oh, bought not built, bull crap, bull crap, bull crap. Yes, we want you. To know, but I don't care how you got your damn car. You're here to have. You're here. You're at the party, and you are welcome to be at the party.
0: Truth, that is the truth. I've always hated that. That you know, you need to build it, not buy it. That to me has always been crap. There are people that have the talent to build things, and there are the people that have the talent to drive things. I have never been the talent to build things. Can I repair them? Yes. Can I build them from scratch? No. Am I ever going to build them from scratch? No. I know my limitations, but that doesn't Thank mean you. I can't be I can't be part of the crowd. I can't be part of the of the experience whether it's trail riding or you know, rock crawling competitions, whatever. Um, there's a lot of guys like like you and i that that know our limitations when it comes to building but you know there's there's people out there that are making a living because they have the knowledge and the understanding to build and there's nothing wrong with using that
1: absolutely we're, we're this we're on the same page with that we're the same kind of people too right you know uh, and i don't care about it Rich, you know, it, I got to care – to do something, I got I to care about it. I don't care about knowing how to tune my motor. I, I could care less. Just somebody come tune the damn thing. I'm, I want to go, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that, that's what tuners are for, right? They're yep. out there. They're all over. Yeah, we got to keep those guys employed. Yeah, and I need one. If you're out there listening, I need one. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> somebody out there, give Skip a
1: call. Get hold <laughs> yeah, of them. Skip you. Scott. And, uh, and And, help him with the tune before we get off. I want to, I'm not going to do it by name, but uh, I want to thank all the people, the family and friends that have given me money, actual green money this year. Uh, and, and you're on my mind. You're the reason that we're out here and you make it so enjoyable for me. You've given me such a great gift, uh, because I feel like I'm driving for a team. I feel like I'm driving for y'all. And uh, I I can't thank y'all enough, all of you, my son, my girlfriend, uh, business owners that I know. uh, I mean, I can't thank you enough. You've, you've really, uh, it's meant everything to me. So thank y'all. And Skip, thank
0: you for coming on and sharing your life and giving us some insight into why.
1: My pleasure, Big Rich.
0: And, uh, with that, I guess we'll uh we'll see you in Cedar City. Can't wait. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Big Rich. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Big Rich. Please let your friends know about this podcast. Let us know what you think of Conversations with Big Rich. Please forward ideas to me, contacts of those that I should in- attempt to interview. Leave a rating on any of the services you found us on. We look forward to your comments and ideas. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and grab all the gusto you can.